Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. Well, if you got your Bibles this evening, let's go to Revelation chapter number 12 tonight. Revelation chapter number 12. And I'll try to give you what the Lord gave me. And uh, I've got a treat for you tonight. Not that my preaching's a treat, but uh, the Word of God's a treat. Amen. And um, if I can get this out the way that the Lord gave it to me, then we'll be just fine. Y'all pray for me this evening. Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation chapter number 12. And we'll see what we learn. When you find your place, I'll invite you to stand this evening in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Revelation chapter number 12. And I'll begin reading in... Uh, Let's just start in verse number 7. The Bible says, and there, was a, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing over the reading of his word. Our Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this evening, Lord. God, I thank you for the privilege to stand tonight, Father. God, I pray that your will and way will be doing the service tonight, God. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the reading of it, Father. God, I pray that you'll show up and show out like only you can tonight, God. God, give me what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less, Father. God, I pray that you preach me in the power of unction and demonstrate the Holy Ghost, God. God, I stand in a place where no man can stand alone. God, I pray you'd help me and touch me add a special blessing to the invitation hour. Save that sinner close to hell. Restore the bachelor and we'll be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So uh, as we come into this passage of Scripture where we're at, we find that uh, if, if you look at it, and I guess if you wanted to outline the whole chapter, you could kind of uh, outline it like this. You could say in verse number 7, we find that there's a conflict. It says that there was a war in heaven. And in verse number 8 and 9, then we find a conquest. And we see that we see that the dragon and his angels prevailed not, and neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And in verse number 3, in verse number, or in number 3, in verse number 10, we find that if you look at it, we kind of find a courtroom setting in, in what we're finding here in the book of Revelation. In verses number 10 through 12, we find a celebration. And then in verse number 12, we then find chaos towards the end of verse number 12. And I say this passage of Scripture here, some believe that believe that this is what is known as a parenthetical text, meaning that some people believe that these are events that have already happened by tying it back to Isaiah 14. But can I say that in 
our verse right here, we see that we see that the Bible calls the devil the accuser of our brethren. But in Isaiah 14, there was no brethren to accuse. Amen. So I, I, I dare not say that this is something that's already happened as much as it's something that's going to happen. Something that's going to take place. And, and can I say, as I studied this and I looked at this, and, and if you'll bear with me, I promise it, it, it'll help you if I can get it out the way the Lord gave it to me and the Lord helps me. And I'm sure He will. Hey, can I tell you? If you study this, there's so much you can preach throughout this passage of Scripture. But I've got a very overactive imagination. And I, as I look at this and I read it, I see it coming to life inside my head. And I picture this courtroom setting. And I picture what is going on in these judicial hearings that is going on in this courtroom setting. And it's with the help of the Lord for a little while this evening, I'd like to preach on this thought. When the prosecutor of the saints is thrown out of court. When the prosecutor of the saints is thrown out of court. Let's note a few things about this courtroom, some things you'll find in this courtroom in the Word of God. I'd say first you'll find that there is an arbitrator in this courtroom. Now don't get nervous, that's just a big word, for the, a big synonym for the word judge. You'd say you find a judge in this courtroom. Just as any, any courtroom today will have a judge abiding there, 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 or residing, there's also a judge in heaven that is residing. Can I say, look at this, what he said in the latter part of verse number 10. It says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast in, which accused them before our God day and night. So we say, we see who the arbitrator is in this courtroom. It's God Almighty. We see that there is only one presiding judge today. Can I say, he was not appointed to this position. He was not assigned to this position. He was not even asked to fill this position. But he has always had this position as judge. He is God by himself and by himself he is God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Hey, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Psalms 45, 6 says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. And can I say we see that he's always been the presiding judge. Hebrews 12, 2 calls him the author and the finisher of our faith. And we see that there is one presiding judge today. And as much as Psalms 46, or 45, 6 said, said thy the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Did I say he is a holy God and he will make holy rulings, holy decisions? I say that his power is holy. His name is holy. His nature is holy. His grace is holy. His presence is holy. His promises are holy. His touch is holy. His love is holy. His mercy is holy. His house ought to be holy. His people ought to be holy. He said, be ye holy as, I, as I'm holy. We see that he is a holy God. There is only one arbitrator in the courtroom in heaven today. And did I say I sure am thankful for that. Hey, because you look at our, our, our secular courtrooms today and you can find a lot of corrupt judges. A lot of corrupt, you don't believe me? You turned on the news the past two weeks. Amen. I'll leave that right there. But you can find a lot of corrupt judges in the day and ages we live. But I'm glad that we have a judge in heaven that makes righteous decisions, that is holy, that makes holy decisions, that does things the right way. And I'm glad that there's only one presiding judge in heaven. Can I say it doesn't matter who's sitting in the Oval Office because I know who's sitting on the throne in heaven. And we can praise, the, and we can praise God for that today. But I say not only is there an arbitrator in that courtroom, but then we see the accuser in this courtroom. The accuser in this courtroom. Look in verse number 9, what the Bible said. It said, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan 
Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. It goes without saying that there is an accuser in any courtroom we look at today. And we see, we look at this accuser, we look at his description. We see the devil in this passage of scripture is described four different ways. And, and, and let me throw this out for you. This will help you. I was listening to Brother Rudy Smith preach, and he said, and he said that, and he said this. He said every courtroom has a DA, a district attorney. He says the same thing is true in the court of heaven. He says, well, there is a DA, a diabolical adversary, a diabolical adversary. And I say he's described as a diabolical adversary, but not only that, we see in the past scripture he's described as a dragon. That speech of domination, that speech of, of him him ruling over everything. And then we see he's he spoke uh, he's described as a ser- as a serpent. That speech of deception. What did Genesis three said? It said now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Hey, we see that he 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 become come to Eve in the form of a serpent to deceive her. We see that. Uh, I've thought about this. He, he's distri- he, he tries to deceive us. Do you know what he tries to do to deceive us? He tries to make us doubt the Word of God. Yes. He tries to make us doubt the Word of God. Can I say, but the Word of God is our weapon against him. That's why he wants us to doubt it. Hey, you study out the Bible and when the, when the devil tempted Jesus, what did Jesus defeat him with? Scripture. He said, as it is written. As it is written. And he is defeated and he defeated the devil with Scripture. There is a word for, there's a Hebrew word for praise and it's pronounced Tauda. It's T-O-W-D-A-H. And it simply means this. It means to raise the hand and verbally confess truth to silence the accuser in a court of law. Can I say our only weapon against the devil today is the Word of God? I ask you this. Do you know enough Scripture that you could do that to defeat the devil? Do you study your Bible enough that if the devil come on your doorstep and tempted you tomorrow, that you got enough Scripture to defeat him with? What a sobering thought. Hey, if there's ever a day and age when we ought to know, uh, when we ought to be skilled with the weapon that God has given us, our offensive weapon is the day and age in which we live today. And we see that we ought to know the Bible. He's described as as a dragon and a serpent. He's described as the devil. That speaks of his devouring. What did the Bible say in 1 Peter 5, 8? It said, Our adversary, the devil, walked about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Can I say he is? That's what he's doing today. And this will help you. If this don't help you, nothing will. But I begin studying lions. And you study a lion, you'll find that the lion is known as many things, the king of the jungle, one of them. And the lion has no known predator. Has no known predator. So it looks like if a lion is on your back, if a lion's looking to devour you, there's no hope. There's no, and there's no help to be seen. The lion has no known predator except for this. The lion's only predator is an even bigger lion. Although we may have our adversary that walked about as a roaring lion. Hey, you study Revelation. He's not coming back as a lamb that was slain, but he's seen as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So can I say when that lion crawls up on our back, hey, you just tell us, uh, tell him about our bitter lion that will handle him. Yep, man. Yep, man. That will help you. I'd say this, before there was ever a sinner, there was a Savior. Before there was ever hell, there was heaven. Before there was ever a sin debt, there was a Savior to deliver. Before there was ever a devil, there was Jesus. And can I say, He's always been one step ahead. And He'll always be one step ahead. You say, we see our accuser, we see His description, but we see His desire. We see His desire. What is our accuser's desire? His desire is to make us look bad before God. And I begin to think about this, and I may have shared this here before, but I begin to think, why does the devil hate us so much? 
I mean, you think, why, why does the devil hate us so much? If you study what his name was before he was cast out, you'll find that his name was Lucifer. And Lu the name Lucifer simply means light bearer. Hey, he was designed for the sole purpose of bringing light, honor, and glory to Jesus Christ. You study it out, there's three archangels in the Bible. There's Gabriel, there's Michael, and there was Lucifer. And you'll find that I believe it, 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 it's not taking the Scripture of the context to say that they could have been assigned each one to one piece of the Godhead. Amen. Hey, Michael, known, known for his way, of, his way of war and his way of fighting and handling things, may have been assigned to God. Gabriel, being a messenger, he may have been assigned to the Holy Spirit. But I do believe that Lucifer was Jesus' archangel. And I do believe his sole purpose was to bring light and honor and glory to the Son of God. And you know what happened? He dropped the ball. When he dropped the ball and he was cast out of heaven, then he was going to bring light and honor and glory to Jesus Christ. But you study your New Testament, what did Jesus say? He said, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. So you know what happened when Satan got too big and got on his pedestal too high? Jesus said, well, I'll, or God said, I'll just cast you out into hell and I'll go find a bunch of Gentile dogs that have nothing going for them. And I'll save them and I'll set them apart and they'll bring me light and honor and glory. Can I say we ought to be thankful for that? Why does Satan hate us so much? It's because we took his job. It's because we took his job. That's why he hates us so much. Satan's desire is simply to make us look bad before God. We see an arbitrator in this courtroom and an accuser. But I thought about this, then we see the accusations. The accusations that are made. It goes without saying that if there's an accuser, there's accusations. What is Satan trying to use to, to prosecute us today? He's talking about our failures. Hey, I'll use I'll usually pitch on people, I'll use myself as an example. He'll say, Well, Dakota, he don't read his Bible like he should. He don't study like he should. He doesn't, hey, he doesn't worship you and everything and acknowledge you and everything like he should. He's a failure. He talks about our faults. He talks about, well, well, he's not a lazy street. He talks about he talks, well, well, he 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 does he forget he's forgetful. He forgets these things. He talks about our foolishness. Can I say we've all been foolish or still are foolish in some ways? He talks about our failures, our faults, our foolishness. He talks about our forgetting. But this is the sad part. Sadly, today, Satan's dealing with facts. He's dealing with facts. He's telling the truth. Can I say Satan didn't have to go try to dig up dirt on us? We made it too easy for him. We made it too easy for him. He didn't have to go and, and, and dig through everything to try to find dirt on us to make us look bad. And the simple reason is this. Because we make it too easy for him. We make it easy for him. Sure, we have our failures and our faults and our foolishness and our forgetting. And because of that today, Satan is using facts to prosecute us today. And, and as I put myself in this courtroom, I can just see as, as the devil approaches the sand, he, he says, well, I've got Dakota here. And, 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 and he's forgetful and he's foolish. And all these things, he begins to lay out all of our faults and our failures. And, I, and we have no defense. We have nothing that we can say. But I thought about this. Next we see there's an advocate in this courtroom. There's an advocate in this courtroom. Can I say there's no way we could defend ourselves? Because everything the accuser says is true. But 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
So when it seems like when we're standing there before the accuser and before God and it seems like he's brought such a compelling defense and it seems like we're going to be prosecuted and, and we're going to be found guilty, we have an advocate. Hey, can I say, Jesus pleads our case. Hey, Luke 15, when that prodigal left, when he come back home, he went no more, less of the father's son when he left as he was when he come back. Can I say, I'm glad we have an advocate today. There's nothing we could do to plead our own case today. Hey, there's nothing within our righteousness. It says he's Jesus Christ the righteous is our advocate. You know why? Because our righteousness is as filthy rats. We have no righteousness within ourselves. There's nothing good within us today. But we have an advocate that will plead our case. That will try to get us what we don't deserve. That has already gave us what we don't deserve. And we have an advocate with the Father. I'd say this, what makes Jesus what makes Jesus, some people may want to know, what makes Jesus a good candidate to be our advocate today? I'd say first, he's, because he's risen. Because he's risen. Hey, he's not just like any other advocate. He's not just like any other prophet. You say, why, why can't Elijah or Abraham wouldn't be the one to advocate for us? Because they're not risen. They're not risen. Do you know that's the only thing that separates us from every other major religion in the world? is the fact that we're serving an alive God today. Hey, can I say, if you go to the tomb of Buddha today, you will find his corpse laying there today. If you go to the tomb of Muhammad today, I guarantee you will find his body there. If you go to the tomb of Joseph Smith today, you'll find his tomb, and you'll find his body there. But if you go to that little tomb outside of Jerusalem today. You're not going to find the body of Jesus Christ because He's risen. You say, where's He at now that He's risen? He's sitting on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us today. Hey, I'm thankful we serve a God that's not dead today. That we're not having to worry about whether our God's still in the tomb. But we have a God in heaven that is alive and well and that's making intercession for us that wants to use us to do something for Him. Do you know He doesn't, he doesn't owe us nothing? Doesn't owe us anything. Hey, we don't deserve to be able to be used by Him. Because hey, He doesn't have to use us. His will will be done with us or without us. But, he, but we have the opportunity that He wants to use us. He loves us enough. We serve a risen God today. I'd say He's a good candidate to be our advocate because He's risen. But not just because He's risen. But I'd say this because He's righteous. Because He's righteous. He told us, it said, Jesus Christ the righteous. The righteous. He, he, he's not messing up. He's not going to do what he can and mess around and bribe his way out of it. But what he's going to do is he's going to do the right thing. And, 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 and he, he's going to tell him, say, oh, hey, look, he is lazy. And, and, and sometimes he does forget to read his Bible. But last time I checked, he's covered by the blood. And we didn't thank God for that. I like this. He's a good candidate because he's risen he's righteous. But I like this right here. He's a good candidate because he has a relationship. Say, what does that mean? He's in good with the judge. He's in good with the judge. Hey, I don't know, and Lord forbid, but if I had to go to Surrey County Courthouse tomorrow, and I was going in for some charges, I'd want a, uh, an advocate that was in good with the judge. I'd want my lawyer to be buddy-buddy with the judge. I'd want them to play golf together every weekend. I'd want everything to be... I'd want the best of the best, the one that's got the most pull. Can I say our advocate in heaven today, he's in good with the judge. Yeah. You say, why? Because it's his father. It's his father. Hey, uh, can I say I'm thankful for that today, that we're not, we don't just have just anybody as an advocate today. But we have Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
And he's ended with the judge. Meaning that. Meaning that. Hey, he'd say, Father, if I should tell you, Father, if, if I should express to y'all how I feel about this, I promise you I'd run to Lodap and bat right now. I'd, put, I'd run all the way up there to the Christmas tree farm, turn around to bat. I might be dead by the time I get back, but I'd do it if I could. But he has a relationship, and that makes him a good candidate to be our advocate. Well, so we, we've looked and I've said that there's an arbitrator in this courtroom. And we see that there is an accuser in this courtroom. And we see the accusations that are made. Then we see that we have an advocate. But then we see the affirmation. The affirmation or the evidence in this courtroom. And, and, and again, this is going to be my overactive imagination, but it'll be okay. You can preach it how you want to when you preach it. Amen. But I, I, I can't help but think, but as, as the devil has prosecuted us and he's made such a compelling case, and he makes it seem like we have no hope, and then our advocate gets up there and he goes, Father, Your Honor, I'd like to bring some evidence to the stand. I'd like to bring some evidence to the stand. And I can see him, maybe with that, that blood that he shed on Calvary. He walks and he goes, Father, that right there is my blood. I died for him. And he's saved and he's born again and on his way to heaven. And I, I just I see the devil's face. So he has no more defense. You know why? Because he can't argue with the blood. He can't argue with the blood. Hey, the blood solved it all. The blood, it's still the blood that saves from sin. Can I say he can't argue with the blood? Can't nobody argue with the blood? Can I say if he, even if it wasn't the devil, if it was every demon in hell standing against us, can't argue with the blood? You say, show me that in the Bible. It says right there, and, he over, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Hey, not just any blood. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his precious blood that was shed for us on Calvary. If we ever get over the blood, we've got over too much. If we ever get over Calvary, we've got over too much. And can I say, if I, I could stand here today and say that if it wasn't for the blood, that I'd be in a devil's hell today with my back broke. And if you'd be real honest and take your halo off, you'd be in the same situation. But we can be thankful for the blood today. The songwriter said it best. He said, it's still the blood that saves from sin. It's still the blood that cleanses within. From the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea, it's still the blood of Jesus that brings victory to you and me. Thankful for the blood today. But I can see as, as Jesus, our advocate, presents that evidence to the Father. He says, that's my blood, and I died on Calvary for you, Father. I completed your plan, and he's accepted me as his Savior. I see the devil being speechless. Because the blood outweighs all those other faults and failures and foolishness that the devil tried to use against us. I can see the devil being speechless. We look and see he, he, he can't argue with the blood. We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. But we're redeemed by his precious blood. It feels so good just to know that someone would shed their blood for an old sinner like me that deserves nothing, that is nothing. But that he loved you and I enough that he'd leave the portals of glory. Come take the form and flesh of man. Take everything that he endured. He gave, his, gave up the ghost on the cross and suffered separation from his heavenly Father. Rose again on the third day and went through all of that just for us who fail him every day. And it's foolish and forget to enjoy the things that God's done. How many times do we forget to thank God for what he's done for us? I begin to think about this and how many times do we ask God to do something and then He does it 
and we ask price. Hey, I don't know how many times. Hey, we've asked, we ask people, we ask God, hey, please save our family, and then he does it. And we think, well, I, it sure was all that hard work and dedication I did inviting them every week and everything. Child say, you didn't have nothing to do with any of that. You didn't have nothing to do with any of that. Hey, I'm thankful today that he is in control of everything. And he shed his blood for us. Not because he had to. He didn't have to. Hey, God would have been perfectly just thumping every one of us off into hell today. And you know what I believe would do a lot of Christians a lot of good today? And that's if God would pop the lid off of hell for about three seconds. And show us what we really deserve. Show us what we escaped through His precious blood. I believe it would do us all a lot of good. Hey, churches would be full, filled to the rafters. Hey, good people would come back and they did save. Most of all, there would be people getting saved. Amen? It, and most of all, the church would be revived. The church would be revived. You want to see true revival? Let God pop the lid off of hell for about three seconds. So it's what we do. Sir. Hey, I guarantee we'll be faithful to the house of God then. Oh, don't die on me this evening. I bet we'll be faithful then. I, I bet we'll, we'll do door-to-door soul winning then. I bet we'll come to prayer meeting then. I bet we'll do the things that we ought to do. I bet we will give our 10% then. But the Lord shouldn't have to do that for us to do that. Amen. That was message number one. Won't cost you anything, I promise. Unless you want to slip me something after service. Amen. And we see the affirmation in this courtroom. But not only the affirmation, but then we see this, the acquitted in this courtroom. The acquitted in this courtroom. The 1828 Webster's Dictionary defines the word acquitted as this. To set free, to release or discharge from an obligation, accusation of guilt, a censure, suspicion, or whatever lies upon person as a charge or duty. I'm thankful we've been acquitted. Amen. Exodus chapter number 12 will find that yearly to be acquitted from their sins, they had to sacrifice that Passover lamb. And it had to be spotless. and it, I mean, it had to meet all this criteria. It didn't just be no barnyard lamb to do that. It had to meet all these, all these regulations and qualifications to be able to be the Passover lamb. And can I say, that's the only way they could be acquitted. But I'm glad, thank God for Calvary. Thank God for His blood. Hey, it all comes back to the blood. It all comes back to the blood. Thank God for His blood. I'm glad that we can be acquitted today. You say, what does that mean? That means we've been set free, we've been released or discharged from an obligation, an accusation of guilt, censure, suspicion, or whatever lies upon us as a charge or duty. You know what our duty was and our charge was? Our charge was as a sinner, and our duty was to serve that in hell. But we've been acquitted. So we've been set free and turned away from all that. Y'all ain't hearing me this evening. I'm thankful that I'm acquitted. Look at me in verse number 11, what the Bible said. It said, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. You know what that means? They turned away. They didn't love their life. They didn't love their life, but they loved the life that the Lord had gave them. Amen. They've been acquitted. Not only the acquitted in this courtroom, but then we see the abolishment. We see the devil. He was cast out. 
He's cast out verse number 9. says, and, that great, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. We see that he was cast out. I begin to study that word cast out and study what it means. What it simply means is this. It means it's just thrown. Thrown out. Can I say that word cast? It appears in your Bible a few times. and If you study it out, it'll help you too. Not only is the devil going to be cast out, but it also says we can cast all our cares upon him for he careth for us. It means just thrown out. Amen. And that's message number one. Two. Three. I don't know how many messages I preach tonight. But anyways, we find that he was cast out. As he's cast out, I thought about this. There's a few things we can note about the devil as he's cast out. We see first, his testimony is silence. His testimony is silence. I see it now as, as the verdict has rained clear and with the blood's been presented before God and he, and, he, and he acquits us. Now I see the devil as he hangs his head in shame. He knows he's been defeated. The Bible says he knoweth but he hath but a short time. He's acquitted. And he, and he does speak, but, 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 but nothing. And God says, I've heard enough. You've accused my children long enough. You've made their lives miserable long enough. And now you're going to get yours. And as he's cast out into heaven, the very, the very, or cast out into hell, the very hell that he's been trying to lure poor sinners to for years and years and years. So he faces the same condemnation that they do. I just hear it. As, as they may be circling the throne in heaven, I'm in the background is God's casting the devil into hell. You may hear him go, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. And then, hey, can I say, I, and then fault-finding beasts, circling throne heaven, they may be saying, well, I find no fault, but he's holy, holy, holy. And I, met, I just picture hearing that in the background as God cast the devil out into hell. What a day that'll be. Can I say, I'm sick and tired of the devil. I'm, I hate him. I, I, I'm sick and tired of him. Hey, if I could bust him in the nose, I would. Amen. Amen. If you'd be real honest, you'd do the same thing. Amen. But he's done enough to make us miserable. Hey, he, he's, he's deceived enough of our family. Deceived enough of our friends. Can yes. I say, it's, I'm gonna be, it's going to be a glad day when he gets his. Amen. He's tasked out. Can I say, I'm real hesitant to preach, against, to preach about the devil because that's when he fights the hardest. But can I tell you, I'm glad there's coming a great day. I'm glad that when they, that our even bigger lines don't take care of our light work. Amen. But we see that as the devil's cast out, we see that his testimony is silenced. And we see that he has nothing more he can say. God said he's heard enough. We see his time is short. Like I said, the Bible says he knoweth but he hath but a short time. But a short time. That's why he's fighting so hard. Because he knoweth but he hath but a short time. He knows, hey, he knows what's, uh, what's coming to him. He knows what his final condemnation is going to be. And that's why he's fighting so hard, because he knows he had but a short time. But I thought about this, and this is sad right here. But his terror is spread. Look with me what the Bible says in verse number 12. It said, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. That's us, amen. Thank God we'll be in heaven one day. But look at this. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. 
For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. His terror is spread. Those rejoice ye, ye heavens, that's us that are saved, born in. But those inhabitants of the earth, that's, hey, this is after Revelation 4, this is after the rapture. Those are the ones that were left behind. Those are the ones that was left behind. His terror is spread. Hey, he's not the only one that's going to suffer that day. It's not the only one. See, after he's cast out, and then what it says, he said, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil's come down unto you having great wrath. Does he know it, but he had but a short time. His terror is spread. But I thought about this. After all that, we see this, the assurance of this courtroom. That is, that there is no appeals. There is no appeals. The word appeal is defined as this. It says, to ask a higher court to reverse the decision of a trial court after final judgment or other legal ruling. Simply meaning this. There's no appeals. The devil can't appeal it. The devil can't say, well, I, I demand a recount or, or I demand a, a retrial. He, he's for, it's forever settled. And then we, shall we ever be with the Lord? Right. I'm so thankful for that, that day's coming. That day, can I say, after, even, more thank, even more thankful after the devil's cast out, then comes the rest of eternity. Amen. And together shall we ever be with the Lord. I want to read you, want to read you something. Real quick, I'll read you a story I found that really helped me, and then, then I'll be done. Miss Gloria, if you would, make your way to the piano, but you need to play softly right here. I know I didn't take long tonight, but sometimes you don't have to take long. Make your way to the piano. I'll read you this, and it really blessed me. Years ago, there was a, well, a very wealthy man who, with his devoted young son, shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, adding only the finest art treasures to their collection. Priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, and Monet, and many others adorned the walls of their family estate. The widowed elder man looked on with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused his father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors from around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. His beloved son was missing in action. The art collector anxiously awaited more news, fearing that he would never see his son again. Within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to a medic. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he and his son had so looked forward to, would visit his house no longer. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. As he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. As the two began to talk, the soldier told of how the man's son had told everyone of his, not to mention his father's, love of fine art. I am an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give you this. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the son. Through the world, though the world would never consider it the work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. 
Overcome with emotion, the man thanked the soldier, promising to hang the pitcher over the fireplace. A few hours later, after the soldier had departed, the old man set about his task. True to his word, the painting went well above the fireplace, pushing aside thousands of dollars of paintings. And then the man sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. During the days and weeks that followed, the man realized that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life would live on because of those he had touched. He would soon learn that his son had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before a bullet stilled his tearing heart. As the stories of the son's gallantry continued to reach him, fatherly pride and satisfaction began to ease the grief. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in, any, in the pieces for which museums around the world clamored. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he had ever received. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. The art world was in anticipation. Unmindful of the story of the man's only son, but in his honor, those paintings would be sold at an auction. According to the will of the old man, all the artworks would be auctioned off on Christmas Day, the day he had received his greatest gift. The day soon arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled this day. Greatness would be achieved as many claim, I have the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not, only, that was not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding with a hundred, he asked. Minutes passed. No one spoke. From the back of the room came, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and go on to the good stuff. More voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Now who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke, will you take ten dollars for the painting? It's all I have. I have ten dollars. Will anyone go higher? called the auctioneers. After more silence, the, the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. The gavel fell, cheers filled the room, and some exclaimed, now we can get on with it and we can bid on these treasures. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced that the auction was over. The auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and asked, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about all these paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. I demand that you explain what's going on here. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. Whoever takes the Son takes it all. Say, so we've got it all today. We don't deserve nothing. But because of the Father, we've got it all.